Would you make? Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, from chapter 2, and it's beginning at verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. had to move the star's power source out of the way there. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the light of the world. You draw us to you even when we don't know it's you. You reach out to us and you bring us to you by your light and by your word. We pray that through your word, your living word, might be heard and bring us life and light in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I get really excited when I see a license plate from somewhere that I've never seen before. I know you're thinking, what an exciting person and what an exciting place to be. You know, this guy must just be a you know, uh, laugh a minute. Um, but one plate this summer really grabbed my attention when I saw it. First, it was from somewhere interesting, New Hampshire. Does anybody know what it says on the license plate, New Hampshire license plate? Betty Ann? Live free or die. Live free or die. That motto blew my mind. It was, uh, had a little more urgency, say, than wild rose country or beautiful British Columbia. Live free or die. I love it. 
Uh, it quotes a general from the American Revolution, and it basically means that freedom is worth dying for, and freedom is essential to living a full human life. And without it, it says, we might as well be dead, because life without freedom is no life at all. And I'm sure we'll all, we'd all agree in some way that freedom is good, necessary. The problem with freedom, though, is that it's the same as a word like happiness or prosperity. Everyone's for it. Everybody wants it. It's a good thing. But what is freedom exactly? In general, the Bible presents two ways of thinking about freedom, very broadly. Two that compete and contradict, compete with and contradict each other. And we can see these two ways play out in today's scripture, the epiphany story. The first definition of freedom takes shape in the figure of King Herod. Herod, you may know, is a puppet king appointed by the world's superpower, Rome. Herod's known for his lavish building projects, like rebuilding the Jerusalem temple, but he's more known for his ruthlessness, especially when he feels like somebody's going for the throne. Even with his family. In fact, he killed one of his wives and several of his children because he was worried that they would betray him. Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, who's also a ruthless guy in his own right, once said that I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. He says that because this guy will do anything to stay in power, anything to stay king. And this is pretty clear when some wise men come knocking. I mean, contrary to popular belief, these guys aren't kings. They're astrologers. They're magicians, pagans, in fact, from Iraq or Iran. And they've seen the star in the sky, which means that somebody important has been born. And they follow this star all the way to Herod's door. This is the part that we sort of cut out of the Christmas story. You don't see Herod at the nativity scene. We should add that next time. It's King Herod. He's got like a knife or something. I don't know. They come to Herod's door and they say, show us this newborn king of the Jews. Show him to us because we'd like to pay him homage. They've come to worship. They've come to pledge their allegiance to this newborn king. Worship has multiple meanings, but they're coming to pledge their allegiance, to give their lives over to this newborn king. The only problem is, of course, that Herod is the king of the Jews. And that's why the wise men assumed the new king would be born there as part of the royal house. But no new births in the house, as far as Herod knew or could tell. Meaning that there's somebody else out there who's getting set up to be king, a rival king. There's competition and it's not just any competition. 
This child is a challenger with divine backing. This child is the promised one, the Messiah, the one sent by God to overthrow the kings of the world and preside over an everlasting kingdom. And so when Herod hears this, it says he's frightened in all Jerusalem with him because, hate to say it, but it's easy to defeat your enemies, but it's hard to defeat God. The news of this new divine king freaks Herod out, and it terrifies the whole Herod administration. And so Herod hatches a plan sending the wise men to Bethlehem, where the Messiah is supposed to be born according to the scriptures. And while they're leaving, he says, uh, hey, and he sort of crosses his fingers behind his back, and he's like, when you find out where that little guy is, let me know. I, I'd love to pay him homage, too. And by that he means, of course, tell him where he is so I can tell some people to go and eliminate him. And that's about it, because if this newborn king grows up and succeeds and becomes king, Herod just won't be king anymore. So here we have this first definition of freedom. Freedom for Herod is being king. It's complete autonomy. To be in control, to make decisions, to be in charge of himself. He refuses even to be governed by the creator of the universe. Notice he consults the scriptures about king. He believes the stuff. And that's the source of his greatest fear. Losing the throne. Not being king anymore. His motto is less, live free or die, than it is live free by getting others out of the way. Now, few of us here are raging maniacal monarchs who kill anyone in our way. And if you are, I am sorry. I don't mean anything I'm about to say. Um, Few of us are exactly like this, but our culture shares a similar view of freedom. It's the ability to live our lives, make decisions, live our lives without other people telling us what to do or how to live them. It's being free from anybody else's power or control, which is reasonable in some ways because power is abused. But like Herod, for us, freedom is autonomy. It's one of the reasons that we, have, as a culture, have come to reject the notion of God altogether. Or any power, higher power of any kind. Because if there's something, if there's someone greater than us, something that we're accountable to, it means that we aren't in charge of our lives. If Jesus is king, Herod can't be king anymore. If God is God, then we aren't. And that means we can't make our lives out, to, out and our world into whatever we want them to be. That's 
the way that we generally see freedom. Freedom from anybody telling us what to do or having any say over our lives. But there's a downside, of course, to this. Like I said, it's understandable in some ways. Power is abused. But when we become, when we're driven by the desire for autonomy, when we have it, we become completely afraid of losing it. Like Herod, we become driven by fear. Because no matter what, people really do get in the way of our freedom eventually, simply by living in the world with other people. It drives Herod to plot murder, but it can drive us to use other people. When our spouse or our family gets in the way of our ambitions, our own desires, we start to resent them. And we may even push them away or discard them altogether to protect ourselves, our time and our energy, which is so rightfully freely ours. It's also why we might even avoid relationships to begin with and community in general because if we're in a relationship and if we're in community, we might have to deal with another person who might start having an influence over the way that we live our lives. Someone else might call the shots for us, and that can be a scary thing because it means we're no longer in control. Which ironically actually means we're no longer actually free. Because if we're afraid and driven by fear, it means we're a slave to our own will and our own desires, our own drives and appetites. I mean, the irony is, too, that Herod actually already has a king, the Roman emperor. And according to Matthew's gospel, the emperor has a boss, too, which is the devil, if you read it in chapter 4. So like Bob Dylan put it once, St. <laughs> Bob of Minnesota put it once, you've got to serve somebody. By pursuing our own autonomy above all else, we ironically become slaves, slaves to our own desires, our fears, and our ambitions. We become our own tyrants even if we don't have a king by name. Even if it's not Herod, even if it's Ryan's dreams and desires. For us, freedom is freedom from other people. Like Herod, freedom is autonomy, the ability to be our own king, make our own choices, live our own lives. But there's another kind of freedom, as I said. There's a second definition of freedom. And this definition of freedom is represented by the wise men, the magi, magi, however you want to pronounce that. But the thing about this definition of freedom is that it's completely, almost completely foreign to us 21st century people. Because it doesn't look like that little uh, license plate at all. It doesn't look like freedom at all. The wise men respond to the news of this new king differently. When they leave Herod, they follow the star until it hovers right over Bethlehem. I mean, it says that the star kind of goes different ways and actually leads. I mean, I think that's kind of a neat thing that happens. 
when they see where the star stops, it says that they are overcome with great joy. Notice that. Notice the difference here. A new king fills Herod with dread, but this king fills these seekers instead with deep gladness. Joy rather than fear. And when they enter the house, it says, it's house, you notice, instead of manger, just another one of my things, or two different stories, again. When they enter the house, it says, they see Mary and the child Jesus in her arms. And what they do is they kneel down. They open their treasure chests and they place gifts before this king. Gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh, these are royal symbols. And the thing about kings is they don't really need your gifts though, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't be kings. Like when somebody gives Queen Elizabeth a potted plant and she nods nicely, it's not because she says thank you because she needs another potted plant, right? Gifts for kings are symbolic. They paid him homage, it says, which is a sense of respect, deference, or tribute. These gifts that they give are a symbol of their loyalty. They are essentially pledging their allegiance to this new king. It's like at your Canadian citizenship ceremony. Herod refuses to bow down, does everything to maintain his freedom, but these guys basically give their freedom away entirely. They're giving it over to this newborn king. They give themselves fully as his servants. And this is the strange biblical notion of freedom. Servanthood sounds to us like the very opposite of freedom. If we take our New Hampshire license plate slogan seriously, we might as well be dead instead of servants. But it's not simply being a servant. Servanthood isn't just good in of itself. Remember Dylan, you know, you got to serve somebody. Somebody, something in our life will demand our allegiance. And it's not service itself that leads to freedom, it's who we serve above all else. It's who we serve above all else that leads us to freedom. In a dream, the wise men are warned of Herod's plot. And it says they returned home by another road. The King James puts it even more poetically. I love the King James when it says, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. They departed going another way. So they're avoiding Herod's wrath on one hand, of course, but they're also avoiding Herod's way altogether. And they're finding another. And that way is found through pledging allegiance to the infant Christ. They're choosing to serve Jesus rather than themselves, rather than Rome, rather than the devil. They're choosing to become disciples, to learn how to be more like 
Jesus, he who lived free from the bondage of sin and the fear, all the fears associated with selfishness and self-serving. So symbolically, in becoming disciples, in becoming servants of Christ, the Magi are being led out of the way of fear and tyranny and death and away into new life, free from all of those things. They're following in a way to become more like he who is the divine expression of our humanity, Jesus Christ. And that's the way that leads us home, out of our bondage to self-destruction and into true freedom. That's the other definition of freedom the wise men represent. So freedom is not the ability to do what we want when we want. It's not to have all the power we can muster so we don't have to put up with anybody else. It's not to have the world's resources at our disposal and it's not to be free of all responsibilities and relationships. No. According to Matthew's gospel, it is in the footsteps of Jesus where we find real freedom, true freedom. In the footsteps of Jesus, he whose life was an outpouring of unconditional love and mercy to live truth-seeking lives of generosity and justice and to more fully reflect the one who gave himself as an offering for the salvation of all. True freedom is found in kneeling before Christ, bringing the gifts of all that we are and giving them away in service to him and the world he loves. Freedom is being unchained from our will to power that pushes love aside and pushes others, including those who we love, out of the way. So maybe I have a new proposal for a license plate that we can all have, if we dare to take it up, although that one's pretty hardcore as it is. You can't get more hardcore than that one. Maybe it's a license plate that says, live free by dying to yourself. Live free by dying to yourself and being raised to new life. In doing so, we are freed from our fear, our self-destructiveness, and our imagined self-sufficiency, and that, according to Matthew, is true freedom. So, brothers and sisters, good friends, gathered today on Epiphany. These are the two definitions of freedom. One, like Herod, free to do what we wish, a way leading to fear, anxiety, and self-destruction. 
the way we know, of course, that ain't actually working for any of us, or humanity in general, or the other. The way of the wise, the servant of the Lord, free to become more than we are, a way that leads to serving more faithfully, loving more deeply, and living more joyfully. And when people look through their little binoculars, they can easily, more easily, see Jesus. So may each of us, by God's grace, have the courage to choose the freedom of Christ, God made manifest. Because if we got to serve somebody, we might as well serve him. Amen.